0: Chairman, distinguished friends, it's a great pleasure to be here. For me, a great honor also. And uh, may I make a special mention of Garrett Evans, whom I admire as one of our leading statesmen in a broad sense in the world, uh, and, and the responsibilities he has taken, the way he is bringing, I would uh, say, the international consciousness to life by his so to say concrete and practical work. So it's, it's wonderful to see him again here. Uh, I will address some of the principal issues around nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons deterrence and make just some short remarks about where we are going in uh, arms control disarmament with regard to nuclear weapons towards the end of my statement. I'm sure that Garrett will fill in all the gaps and probably contradict me also here and there. But let me start with the most serious thing, and that is that nuclear weapons are tools for destruction. We have to keep that in mind as a starting point. Their use kills immediately and it kills over time. Both. And their cause. Uh, and the use cause in, in, uh, um, almost unbelievable devastation and environment, environmental degradation. Any nuclear weapon use would be out of proportion to any foreign policy objectives. That is my thesis. None of the various doctrines for use developed over the years really serves any political or material purpose, whether they are based upon limited nuclear war, surgical strikes, or mutual assured destruction. For our contemporary existence, there is no rational argument for actual use. The matter of launching a nuclear attack is thus exclusively a problem of deep moral complexity, a challenge to human decency and the survival of mankind. Consequences of use is not only to inflict terrible suffering on others, but the effects of nuclear war are coming back to the user in the form of environmental devastation accompanied by the hatred of the surviving victims. We all know that the use of only limited portions of existing nuclear weapon stocks, less than 0.1%, could create the devastation of large parts of the globe. Thus, already in the mid-'80s, an International Commission of Scientists warned warned that such limited use could result in what they call the nuclear winter, a disaster for food production and human survival. The recent International Panel on Climate Change has confirmed that that earlier finding. Thus, the creation of nuclear weapons has made it possible for the first time in the human existence for mankind to commit a collective suicide. The legality of the use of nuclear weapons has also been addressed by the International Court of Justice, which has ruled that weapons use violates laws of war in all the aspects of proportionality and non-discrimination. The Nuclear Non Proliferation Treaty, the NPT, of course is still the major, the major multilateral nuclear disarmament treaty while we are waiting for the convention banning nuclear weapons. The parties to the treaty have entered into a sort of partnership based upon the shared view the shared view that both requisition and retention on nuclear weapons or acquisition and retention are harmful to international peace and security. That is both uh, parties, so to say, agree. But if you take a closer look, you will find that the nuclear weapon states joined the treaty first of all because their concern that proliferation of weapons constitutes a threat to international peace and security the non-nuclear weapon states on the other side support the NPT because of their concern that the retention and existence of nuclear weapons constitute a threat to international peace and security. These, if I call it contradictions or different approaches between the parties, have hardened over the years, as the nuclear weapon states have made clear that they are not ready to abolish nuclear weapons uh, as these weapons, in their mind, to their mind, are helpful to security, while the nuclear weapon states hold that nuclear weapons are harmful to security. One side say they are helpful to security, others say they are harmful. And this is a, a gap which is extremely different, difficult to bridge. However, in spite of the assistance of the nuclear weapon states to retain their nuclear arsenals, none of them is inclined to make use of the nuclear weapons. And we are grateful to that. I mean, the new which means mass killing potentials and its unforeseeable consequences. There is no rational argument for actual use. The question is then, why in heaven, why is it so difficult for nuclear weapon states to take decisions to get rid of these weapons, as they they cannot themselves foresee a situation of use? Well, the answer to this question, we all know, it can be given in one word, deterrence. There is indeed a widespread belief in nuclear deterrence doctrines as a fundament for international security, not only among the nuclear weapon states, but also among some some non-nuclear weapon states. That belief is not only explaining the reluctance of nuclear weapon states to reduce and eliminate their arsenals, but also behind the drive by certain non-nuclear weapon states to obtain the capability of nuclear weapons, uh, at least for preserving a nuclear weapons option. And obviously the DPRK and Iran falls into one's mind. Well, <clears throat> The rationale for nuclear arsenals under the deterrence doctrine is to prevent use. It's not for use, but to prevent use. Even if an innocent observer like myself would say that the best way to prevent use would be to get rid of the weapons, I mean, that sounds logical for a simple mind. The answer would be that if you had gotten rid of your weapons, you cannot deter the other, the other, and prevent the other from using them against me. The dilemma with deterrence based on deployed nuclear weapons is. That it can be seriously credible only only if there were a trust that there were a significant possibility that the weapons could be used with short delay, and that there were both a technical and political psychological readiness to use them. Uh, That reminds me about what happened in the early 70s when there were concerns in Europe that the United States was not ready to use its nuclear deterrence against, in the case of a possible Soviet massive invasion of Western Europe, and, and therefore because the um, risk was of escalation to use of, new, of Soviet nuclear weapons against major cities in the United States. So um, I think it was Henry Kissinger who came up with the idea, let's say that President Nixon is mentally unstable and that he therefore is not rational and therefore he can maybe press the nuclear button if Soviet attacks. That was the idea of mad Nixon as an element in deterrence. So it, it was shaky already with these very tough guys so the matter of you must demonstrate that you are politically and psychologically ready to use weapons otherwise it is no deterrence therefore in addition of course to alert state of the weapons doctrines military practices training targeting and postures might be structured to make actual use possible and in addition You need a mental and moral moral readiness to inflict disaster and suffering of almost unthinkable magnitude. Furthermore, deterrence can have an impact only on reasonably rational actors or opponents. What we have learned from actions by terrorists in modern times is that these actors are the international terrorists, I mean, with their destructive and suicidal agenda, these are not easy to impress the uh, nuclear deterrence effect on them. Maybe it wouldn't even have an effect whatsoever. Maybe it would be even attractive, because some may even welcome an opportunity to make the ultimate sacrifice. So, um, against so-called new nuclear threats, it's doubtful if the deterrence or the threat of use has any effect whatsoever. As was stated by the four American statesmen and uh, security specialists George Shultz, Henry Kissinger, Sam Nunn and William Perry in their path-breaking article in the Wall Street Journal of year 2007, The end of the Cold War has made the doctrine of deterrence between the two major nuclear weapon states obsolete. However, these gentlemen could not conclude that deterrence concepts do not continue to be relevant considerations for many other states in other security constellations. However, However, the four could point out that the lack of structural approach corresponding to what had existed between the United States and the Soviet Union at the, in that time makes the reliance on nuclear weapons for deterrence purposes becoming increasingly hazardous in our times and decreasingly effective. I think this is an extremely important observation, and I totally share that their considerations. We can, all of us, consider the security situation in East Asia, South Asia, and the Middle East, and one will immediately be bent to agree on that conclusion by the four. However, if we, instead of bilateral deterrence situation, consider the notion of extended deterrence. Questions of alliances must be considered. Alliances can serve as means of preventing nuclear proliferations. The two major states, Germany and Japan, appear not to have been tempted to give up their non-nuclear postures. And that, I think, is thanks to their, uh, their American nuclear umbrella. The question is then, what could have, would happen if the U.S. suddenly, now we have Obama and we have peculiar discussions, we have four elderly gentlemen talking about the vision of a weapon- free world, what would happen if suddenly the United States decided to eliminate, abolish its nuclear weapons? Would that have an impact on Japan's non-nuclear posture? And what would be the consequences for NATO? which still, we have to recall, is a nuclear alliance thanks to the extended deterrence courtesy of the United States. Clearly, a full answer could only be given considering changes in the related security constellations. It could definitely be stated that neither Russia nor China would be a realistic threat against Germany, respective Japan, more than today, the world's dominant power, in military, uh, more than today, the world. Sorry, I, I skipped the paper. Uh, it is difficult to see. It is difficult to see how the positive end of extended nuclear deterrence, due to nuclear abolition, would in any way have a negative impact on any of the allies of the United States. The development since the early 90s in the military sphere concerning both quantity and quality as regards conventional non-nuclear capabilities demonstrates that the relative superiority of the United States has increased radically without nuclear weapons, which could serve as a strategic or even tactical equalizer in relation to the U.S. America would be even even, even, uh, stronger uh, instead of resting upon its nuclear deterrence doctrines. The world's dominant power in military terms would be the United States. This could make America's friends and allies even more secure. Of course, Russia, on the other side, failing, missing such a contingency, and in the wake of the radical diminishing of the size and quality of its armed forces, could be tempted to resist a dismantling of its nuclear force in order to maintain leverage and international clout. And that is clearly one of the first challenges if you talk about aboli- abolition. The vision of a world free of nuclear weapons, as was launched then with, with the gentleman I talked about, Schultz, Kissing and Anne Perry, implies that global nuclear security in the long run cannot, cannot be resting upon nuclear deterrence doctrines. It is remarkable that two of the foremost nuclear petitioners, the two most foremost petitioners of nuclear deterrence, former U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, after years of reflection, and maybe decades of reflection, have come to the conclusion that in the end, only elimination of nuclear weapons could be strong enough guarantee against their use. It's quite simple logic, but you need years to understand that. The political and practical impact of these revelations have been limited as they materialized first when protagonists had retired, unfortunately, from, from the service. The Canberra Commission, and there I have something about to to Garrett Evans who took the initiative and inspired that is uh, ha- and also uh, in which uh, McNamara served as a commission i had the honor also to be part of that came in his time to the conclusion in its its path breaking report in ninety six that as long as nuclear weapons exist they soon they uh, sooner or later will be used. As the Canberra Commission concluded, the only military utility that remains for nuclear weapons is in deterring the use by others. That utility, it must stated, implied the continued existence of these weapons. Consequently, the utility would disappear completely if nuclear weapons were eliminated. Here we have this philosophical logical challenge. The cure, namely the threat of use, is identical with the, with the disease, the threat of use. And think about that. In defense of the utility nuclear weapons, it has frequently been stated that these weapons had not existed during the Cold War. If they had not existed during the Cold War, the two major states, the United States and the Soviet Union, would have entered into a conventional war with each other. This is a highly questionable proposition. Uh, Everyone who studied European politics know that the Stalinist and post-Stalin Soviet Union was exhausted and close to economic and social breakdown after the devastating war with Germany and could not have been in a position to start a new war in Europe. Equally improbable is it that the United States and its allies would have initiated a third war in Europe. In fact, the Cold War was an ideological confrontation between two systems and was won not by armaments, not by deterrence, but by the strength of the principles and practice of democracy and human rights. As George Cannon had prophesied already in 1948, the Soviet Union was bound to collapse. Uh, under its own contradictions, the system's inherent decay. Thus, his, he recommended, and, ado- and he got the policy adopted, enough, it is enough to contain, not to attack. As a matter of fact, the existence of nuclear weapons did not prevent major Uh, wars with uh, the engagement of nuclear powers. We all remember the wars in Korea, in Vietnam, and Afghanistan, where major powers were engaged and no nuclear weapons were used. For NATO or for the U.S. alliance arrangements uh, with Japan and Australia, for instance, that type of arrangements, an extended deterrence would logically be safer and more trustworthy if it were based upon a, super, a superior american conventional force in combination with the uh, with the army naval and air capabilities of the allied states so efforts to so there i think i will come i will skip my second half it would be more about the uh, present situation in disarmament field, but um, I gladly will engage in the debate later on and come with some of my salient points there. So I thank you with that. Thank you.